0: The Veterans Report is sponsored by James Cannon. Welcome to The Veterans Report, the region's only show dedicated to those who have served our country. We have the latest news and information on resources available to veterans, including health care,
1: education, employment tips, local volunteer organizations, and more. To those who have served, those who are serving, and to those who will, we salute you. And now, the host of The Veterans Report, Jim Cannon. and welcome back to the veterans report thanks for tuning in thanks for listening thanks for being a part of the show keep in mind all the uh, all the news and the topics in the uh, the interview uh, will be housed on the website the veteransreport.com uh, and you can also catch the uh, you can catch the sound file there as well um, we're also on Facebook we're on Twitter we're on Instagram so we are. We are spread out. Um, So today's guest, where are we, where are we, Uh, is Darren Selnick. And uh, Darren was a, he's a former White House advisor. He was a, uh, he was a policy advisor, VA policy advisor uh, at the White House and is now with Concerned Veterans for America as one of their senior advisors there. Uh, Again, same topic providing information on uh, on VA policy. So uh, it's going to be a good discussion. We're going to talk VA stuff. We're going to talk about the Mission Act. We're going to talk about uh, the VA vacancies. You know, you might have heard about the, uh, whatever is the, the 40,000 job vacancies at the VA. So we're going to touch on that and touch on what CVA's overarching mission is and, and why they do what they do. So hang in there. That's going to be at the halfway point be a good interview. Um, you know, as I said, you know, Darren's, a, Darren's an expert on all things VA, so it'll be a good chat. Um, we also want to say hello to our partners at WTF Nation Radio. They are everywhere, all the time. As a matter of fact, I had a dream not long ago, and for some reason, for some reason, their logo was part of the dream, and I have no idea why, so... Clearly, WTF Nation Radio is having an impact and uh, seeping into my brainwaves. So today, news we're going to talk about includes uh, medical marijuana, Jeff Bezos. Uh, What else? Oh, there was a charity that got busted. A charity down in Florida that got busted for for scamming people. And uh, you might have heard about the the homeless vet, uh, Bobbitt. His name was Bobbitt. Uh, some folks set up a GoFundMe account. We'll talk about that if we have time. And, oh, oh, speaking of the VA, let's tee that up. Let's tee up that story first. So an audit, there was an audit that came out. Well, I'm sorry. There was an audit that was performed and it was just released. And it showed that the VA overpaid, and uh, keep in mind, this goes back because we jump on the VA all the time, right? Uh, this goes back to 2016-2017 uh, financials. Uh where are we here? So there was an audit done on the 2016 uh 2017 financials and what it showed was the VA actually overpaid contractors by over 100 million dollars for medical work. Okay, not not paid them over over paid them by a hundred million dollars uh the headline is audit shows va overpaid contractors by over a hundred million dollars for medical work two healthcare contractors running the federal government's veterans choice program collected more than 101 oh excuse me i was off 101 million dollars in overpayments during 2016 and 17 according to an audit released by the VA Office of Inspector General. Because of ineffective controls, the VA Office of Community Care failed to identify improper claims, an executive summary for the report said. The two VA contractors, Phoenix-based TriWest Healthcare Alliance Corp. and HealthNet Federal Services of California, allegedly collected $66.1 million in excess payments, via duplicate bills, and $35.3 million more as a result of other errors. The Veterans Choice program was created in 2015 amid a healthcare crisis first exposed at the Phoenix, Phoenix VA Medical Center. Tens of thousands of patients nationwide were backlogged in an appointment system that spewed phony data. Many died or suffered while awaiting care. Congress responded by authorizing ten billion dollars to pay for private medical appointments for vets who could not get timely treatment through the VA. Triwest and HealthNet, which are the two companies that uh, apparently got a payday here, administer the program, setting up provider networks, booking appointments, and processing payments <laughs> and here's the here's a great quote. Uh, so Triwest President and CEO David McIntyre said overpayments were a product of past, quote, mechanical errors on both sides, end quote. But the system has been markedly improved over the past 18 months. So, uh, again, this goes back to 2016, 2017. And uh, where are we here? So it wasn't, you know, it's not like this just happened. It takes a while to go through financials, do an audit. Uh, and figure out what it says. But, uh, yeah, $100 million overpayment. (laughs) The audit scrutinized... Check this out. The audit scrutinized 4.8 million medical charges. More than 5% of those were duplicates, mostly submitted by HealthNet. About 10% of the bills had other errors. So, uh, the... (laughs) Man, 4.8 million medical charges, and more than 5% of those were duplicates, mostly submitted by HealthNet. Think about that. Now, I will say—I'm not going to read the rest of the story because there's about another 20 minutes worth of reading. Um, I will say— That with an agency the size of the VA, right, there's gonna I, I can I understand that there are gonna be errors, there, there are probably gonna be overpayments here and there, right? I get that. But you would think even the size of that agency, right, at, at uh, what's their budget? Eighty seven billion dollars a year. A hundred million? A hundred million dollars, I could see I could see one million, right? An accumulative uh sort of an aggregate, right, in overpayment. I could see that. A million. I could even see ten million spread out across the entire VA. I could see that. A hundred million dollars. So clearly, they need to beef up their um, their oversight, their financial oversight, because that's a hundred million dollars. Uh, that buys a couple pair of boots, you know. Uh, buy some bed sheets. Uh, what else would it buy at the VA? It'd be enough for some. Uh, salaries and benefits for a lot of those vacancies that we're going to talk to Darren about. I don't know. I I guess it's—I'm at the point now where when I hear things like this coming out of the VA, I don't blink. A couple of years ago, when all these scandals started to come out of the wash, right, come out in the wash, Uh, it was tough. It was heartbreaking because you thought, man, I wonder how long that's been going on. I wonder how long it's been at this facility and, you know, there are people dying and they're, you know, it was just thing after thing. But now I'm at the point where I just, I have to kind of laugh at it, which is awful, right? You don't want to laugh. It's not funny, but a hundred million dollars, get out of here. hundred million bucks. Oh, and they just keep expanding. They keep growing and spending more money. So, uh, yeah, that's the VA. Speaking of growing, (laughs) you like that segue? So here's the next story. New legislation could increase veteran access to medical marijuana. A new bill introduced to Congress Wednesday could give veterans easier access to medical marijuana in states where it is illegal. Or legal, I'm sorry, not illegal, legal. Let me read that again. A new bill (laughs) introduced to Congress Wednesday could give veterans easier access to medical marijuana in states where it is legal. The Veterans Medical Marijuana Safe Harbor Act, it's a mouthful, introduced by Senators Bill Nelson and Brian Schatz, both Democrats, would allow Veterans Affairs physicians to prescribe the drug to ease pain or symptoms of PTSD. Uh, Right now, federal law prohibits VA doctors from prescribing or recommending medical marijuana to veterans, said Nelson. This legislation will allow veterans in Florida and elsewhere the same access to legitimately prescribed medication, just as any other patient in those 31 states would have. Right now, marijuana remains illegal by federal standards, but individual states have been easing restrictions on the drug in recent years. And as of June of this year, marijuana is medically legal. Medically, that's a key word for some of you burnouts. Medically legal in 30 states and Washington D.C. So you can't go all Jeff Spicoli and uh, go buy an eighth and kick back and relax. Medically, that's the key word in 30 states. Uh, where are we here? Advocates of legalization hope that allowing VA doctors to prescribe marijuana will ease veterans' use of harmful and addictive opioids. According to the bill, states with medical cannabis laws have a 24.8% lower mean annual opioid overdose mortality rate compared with states without medical cannabis laws. Mm, I I gotta chew on that. That's a bit misleading. That's... States with medical cannabis laws have a lower annual opioid overdose mortality rate compared with states without medical cannabis laws well uh, okay again that's that's a flawed that's a flawed statement I know some of you will pick up on that i mean to pick it apart if if you don't have it medically if you have uh, if you're in a state where it's medically available, that is an option right so there's a huge contingent of people who are going to turn to something that is quote unquote safe, and that's another discussion, but they're gonna to turn to a plant, right uh, as opposed to opioids so I mean I, I mean I get I get what they're saying with the statement I, I I know what I mean in my head. It'll be thirty minutes of me trying to dissect this uh, anyway, so yeah I what is this? Oh they have a quote from a guy named uh, Justin Strakel the political director of Normal, a marijuana advocacy group uh, supporting the senator's legislation. Well, of course he is. The Veterans Medical Marijuana Safe Harbor Act would provide crucial medical and civil protections for the men and women who put their lives on the line to serve this country. Well, okay, all right. A little bit of rhetoric there, but uh, yeah, I, look, if if making weed... Uh, medically available to vets where it was not before. And again, the, keep in mind, this was not, this is not the the market overall. This is through the VA, right? Because there was a, well, I think there still is, there's a prohibition on VA physicians, right? Veterans Affairs physicians uh, prescribing medical marijuana. They can't do it under federal law right now. So this is not addressing the marketplace as a whole, in terms of a, quote, alternative therapy or even a, you know, just a medical alternative. So this is just strictly for the VA. So if you're not within, if you're not part of the VA system, if you're not in that pipeline, you can still, in these 31 states where it's legal, you can still get a prescription for it. This is just to address the sort of the, the parity or, or bring parity to the, the, you know, the entire, uh, the entire medical field when it comes to prescribing this stuff. I don't have an issue with that. I don't. I mean, I'm not. I am definitely not one of those people that's going to go out there and advocate people, uh, other people get, you know, smoking weed, but, but, recreationally, if it's a medical issue, right? If they're if they're in pain, if there's some kind of, I don't know, chronic physical thing going on. Yeah. If it if it helps them, what do I care? I mean, that's that's a vast difference between a couple of kids cutting class and you know, smoking and then going to see a movie or something. I mean, we're talking about a legitimate, I guess, uh, you know, a medical justification, right? Legitimate use of this drug, which, again, I'm 100% behind. What we want to do, I mean, ultimately, part uh, the goal should be to get rid of the sort of the blanket prescription mentality. If you go in and you have severe enough medical issues, it's easy to get a prescription. And this isn't just the VA. This is everywhere, right? It's easy. It's easy to walk out of there with a bottle of pills. It's easy to do that, and especially through the VA. And I think they they got to that point because it was easy. There was no oversight, very little oversight. The goal really should be to get people off of these opioids, uh, especially the, you know, you get to the point where People get so hooked on this, and somebody comes along and takes it away, and then they have to turn to illegal drugs, and then you have people dying in their cars, in alleys, at home, because they, they get addicted to this stuff. So Now, again, a discussion for another day. I'm not the expert on it, but I know there have been studies done that have shown—some studies, right? I want to qualify that. There have been some studies, medical studies, that have shown weed is also addictive, and I know, I know some people out there would jump up and down and say, oh, that's not true, and, you know, big fans of, of, <laughs> of marijuana. But there have been some studies that have shown it's addictive. There are also studies out there that uh, dispel that. So I, I don't know where I am with that. Again, I'm not the expert. But I, I have to think that, relatively speaking, this stuff would be less harmful, even if you were, quote, addicted to it right? Has to be less harmful than uh, the other stuff, right? The, the fentanyl and the, and the, and the uh, or not the fentanyl. Is it was the fentanyl? No. That's the patch, right? Uh, heroin, right? Or, or any of the, the pill forms that they prescribe. This has to be safer. Again, relatively speaking. So I am not the expert though so hey it, you know I'm 110 I'm percent behind that though you know, get rid of the prohibition through the VA. As a matter of fact, the VA should be in line. it should be on par with civilian care. and that way, when people are transitioning out of the service, it won't be as harsh a disruption when they're going to seek medical care. You know we talk about transition, we talk about going from military to civilian life there's there's a lot that goes on with that. there's a lot right? Physically and emotionally. And obviously with medical care, it's physical, but there's also an emotional and a mental component to that. If there's a big enough chasm between what you were accustomed to and what you're walking into, it's a learning curve, right? It's a learning curve, uh, along with everything else, along with schedules and how to address people and uh, you know, certain words you shouldn't say at work that you could get away with saying in the military. <laughs> you know, like talking to your buddies in the motor pool or or uh, out during. Uh, you know, you're running PT and you guys are, you know, running your mouths while you're out there doing push-ups. You can say certain things to your buddies. You can't get away with that in the civilian world, right? So it's an adjustment, and it's the same thing with all components of that transition, including medical care. So any my, my point in bringing that up. Let me let me beat this horse to death there should be there should be consistency when that handoff is done, when the handoff is done from from you know uniform military personnel to civilian member of society. What would be even better at some point is to have sort of a I don't even know if it's possible some kind of transitory system where there's an overlap between the vA and uh, wherever their civilian medical care ends up. And I, I know that they can they can hand off records, or you can line it up when you're in the military and seek out a civilian doctor, uh, or you can get out of the military and seek care through the VA if you qualify. But there should be sort of a concentric circle there, right? There should be an overlap somewhere where it's a smooth handoff. Of course, for that to happen, it, <laughs> you'd have to have... The DOD get their stuff together. You'd have to have VA get their stuff together. You'd have to have civilian, uh, civilian medical world sort of uh, buy into it. I don't know. someday, right? Hold my breath. Someday. Anyway, uh, yeah. So hopefully they will. Uh, hopefully that legislation passes, and uh, and people can you know alleviate whatever. Whatever pain they have going on. So, speaking of pain, Jeff Bezos of Amazon. Uh, this guy is basically going to take over the world. He he is going to own planet Earth at some point. If you don't know who he is, he is the, the richest man in the world. Uh, I don't know by what margin, but I do know he is the richest man in the world. And he... I mean... Uh, Surpasses Bill Gates, surpasses Warren Buffett, surpasses any of the emirs uh, over in the Middle East. He's, <laughs> and it, he just keeps raking it in. So Jeff Bezos, uh, the founder of Amazon, I think he also owns uh, the Washington Post, and I think there was another newspaper. Uh, don't remember, but I mean they're going gangbusters with all the stuff they're doing. Anyway, so the the story is Jeff Bezos gives ten million dollars to help put more veterans in Congress. Bezos, the world's richest man, which I can't say enough, uh, has has long shied away from making major political or philanthropic contributions. The money will go toward a nonpartisan organization and super PAC called With Honor, according to a news release the group put out on Wednesday. It's seeking... This is poorly written. It is seeking to get... Ah, uh, the editor in me just, just got a twitch. It is seeking to get 20 veterans from both parties elected into the U.S. House of Representatives during the midterms. Bezos and his wife, Mackenzie are putting up a third of the organization's stated $30 million goal and are investing alongside fellow billionaires. Think about that phrase. Fellow billionaires. Alice and Jim Walton of the Walmart family. Howard Schultz. Oh, uh, man, what did he do? Something in media. Uh, Les Wexner, never heard of him, and Julian Robertson. Nope. The 54-year-old has contributed small sums to Democratic candidates, both federal and local, over the years. He's also put up $2.5 million last year to defend gay marriage in Washington state. Yet his political donations do not begin to rival the amounts spent by others like casino magnate Sheldon Adelson— who has kicked in $55 million to help Republicans in this year's midterm elections. So I think it's safe to say that uh, Bezos is going to, you know, he's he's a left of center guy, which that's fine. He's also a capitalist, a (laughs) colossal capitalist, which is bizarre because some of the candidates he's backing would strip that all away. So somebody might want to sit down with Mr. Bezos and have that chat with him. So uh, Bezos is currently worth—oh, here we go. You ready for this number? You want to hear what Bezos, Jeff Bezos, is, is worth, estimated? $164 billion. Oh, my goodness. Bill Gates, meanwhile, is worth $95 billion. Now Bill Gates has given away probably just as much of as, uh, as, as his net worth his existing net worth over the years, but he sits at about a 100 billion and Bezos is worth 164 billion you know just a, about a well do the math 60 about a 70 billion dollar gap uh 70 billion dollars is actually the GDP of many nations on on Earth oh my God, I don't even know what I would do with that. billion. Oh, here we go. With Honor. I didn't know anything about it. With Honor was started in 2017 with the stated goal of lowering the financial barriers that keep qualified veterans from successfully competing for a seat in the legislature. At a time when the number of veterans in Congress is at a record low, principled next generation vets could help fix our country's broken politics, said with honor, co-founder, and Navy veteran, David Gergen. Why do I know the name David Gergen? It is on the tip of my tongue. Uh, come on, come on, come on, come on. I don't... Uh, oh, 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 because he is... Uh, he's a political dude. Um, former presidential advisor who served during the Nixon, Ford, Reagan, and Clinton administrations. And he is now on CNN. I will reserve comment. So, one last quick one. There was a uh, a charity in Florida that got busted for scamming people. Uh, People with soft spots in their hearts for veterans contributed $5.5 million in car donations to a Tampa charity called Vet Made Industries. Turns out Vet Made wasn't making anything. They were holding on to the money, sitting on it. And they were busted by, uh, where are we? Consumer services in Florida and (laughs) a TV station who confronted them. Oh, WFLA. According to the state, the charity did not register until eight on your side started asking questions about the organization in June. So that's nice. $5 million. They weren't doing anything with it. Oh, by the way, they still have the money. So uh, I think the moral of the story there is be cautious. You know, we've had a number of those charity watchdogs on the show. Uh, so go to their sites, check them out before you give any money, give any time or volunteer or refer people, do your homework because stuff like this happens all the time. It's just only a few of them make the headlines. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will be with our guest, Darren Selnick. So hang in there. If you want to keep up with the latest in veteran news away from the radio, stop by our website at www.theveteransreport.com. There you'll find news headlines along with links to media outlets around the world. You can also find links to every state's veteran services office. And for you film buffs, there's even a link to a war movie database. We appreciate you stopping by the Facebook page at facebook.com slash theveteransreport. There, like the website, you'll find the latest news and information related to veterans. For you high-speed individuals who want to limit yourself to 140 characters, stop by our Twitter account. It's a great way to find information on veteran organizations throughout the country and what they're up to. You can tweet us by using at thevetsreport. If you'd like to email the show directly, please send us your input, comments, or suggestions to editor at theveteransreport.com. Dot com. Thanks again for checking out our pages. Thanks for listening. And thank you for supporting our veterans community. And we are back on the Veterans Report. We have with us our guest, Darren Selnick. Darren is a senior advisor for Concerned Veterans for America. Uh, From 2017 to 2018, Mr. Selnick was the Veteran Affairs Advisor, Domestic Policy Counsel at the White House. He was responsible for veterans policy and coordination of efforts with other White House offices, the VA, and other federal agencies. This included reviewing and providing input and recommendations on VA policies, reform efforts, legislative proposals, regulations, Rules, Budget, and Congressional Testimony. Previously, he was the Senior Advisor to the Secretary of the Department of Veterans Affairs. He was responsible for advising the Secretary and other senior management officials on sensitive issues and critical matters pertaining to policies, priorities, and program direction of the department and to its structure, organization, and operation. From 2015 to 2016, Mr. Selnick was a commissioner on the Commission on Care which was established by Congress to examine how the VA can better deliver health care to veterans during the next 20 years. And from 2001 to 2009, Mr. Selnick was an appointee at the Department of Veterans Affairs. During that time, he served as the director of the Center for Faith-Based and Community Initiatives, VA liaison to the White House Office of Faith-Based and Community Initiatives, special assistant to the secretary, and associate dean, VA Learning University. Prior to 2001, Mr. Selnick had a number of management positions and a variety of roles in Lindora Medical Clinics, Pacific Care Health Systems, and FHP International. And for our audience, Mr. Selnick is a retired Air Force officer who attained the rank of captain. He volunteers his time as a board member of the West Los Angeles Veterans Home Support Foundation and has been very active in veterans issues. He joined the Jewish War veterans in 1994 and has had previous leadership positions including the past department commander of the Department of California. Darren is also a member of the American Legion, AMVETS, and the Air Force Association. Having said all that, Mr. Selnick, thank you. Hey, Jim. Thanks
0: for having me on. It's a pleasure a- to
1: be on today. Absolutely. And I think it's safe to say that you you kind of have a handle on what's going on with uh, the VA and its associated issues.
0: Yeah, I've been around a long time. Now I'm seeing my... Uh... My kids and and their friends uh, entering
1: the system so it's been a long time. That is amazing. Um, so we we reached out to uh, Concerned Veterans for America for for a number of topics, primarily because of the recent uh, the recent news with the VA Mission Act uh, from this summer. So if you could, I mean, I I'm familiar with it. I know some of the listeners are are familiar with it, but I'm I'm going to guess most are not familiar with all of the details, the nitty gritty of the Mission Act of 2018. So if you could, in a nutshell, what is it and, and why is it important to veterans?
0: Well, let me just start off and thanks for asking that question. You know, in, in honor of John McCain, who recently passed away, the, the official title of the Mission Act actually starts off as a John S. McCain and lists some other people, Mission Act of 2018. Uh, John McCain was a, uh, someone who really pushed the envelope to make sure veterans got the access and the quality healthcare And the Mission Act today would not have been passed if it wasn't for Senator McCain and his staff really pushing and battling and fighting for veterans to be able to have the choice that they wanted and what the president promised. Um, The Mission Act is is critical because it, in the short term, fixes the the choice program, uh, and in the long term does some systemic fixes to the uh, VA health care program so, that uh, veterans in the long term will be able to actually be the driver of their own health care. Um, right now, the VA has, has done the, the 40 mile, 30 day choice program with fits and starts. It hasn't worked well. And the president promised, and in, in this act is actually modeled a lot after the DOD TRICARE system wherever a veteran comes. And it sets in place access standards. and this makes choice automatic. Either the the VA can meet those access standards or not, in terms of distance, in terms of wait times, and if the VA can't, they can do better, but they can't do worse, it will become the the veteran driving the decision when they use community care rather than than bureaucrats. That's a huge change, it's a huge difference, and it's it's, it's critical. There's other uh, innovations in there about making sure providers are paid, veterans are getting bills, um, making sure the on improvement on the caregivers, um, innovation to make sure the system consistently improves, and uh, asset review, which is basically making sure the dollars go where the veterans are, not where they're not. So huge improvements, most done in, in VA reform in a generation, um, and the key thing is uh, there's a 30-day window in terms of when VA is going to go ahead and do these access standards, and there's a one-year window coming up uh, actually 10 months now, I call it VA's D-Day because the bill was signed on D-Day, and all this has to happen on June 6, 2019. And if it happens well, 6 million veterans who use the system are going to be in good shape. If it doesn't happen well, um, it's going to be a cat- catastrophe. So we're working hard and watch targets to make sure VA does as well.
1: So now I know that we are, and you touched on this real briefly, we're about 30 days out from the first real deadline. Uh, on this legislation, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay, and that's the the draft access standards.
0: Yeah, the draft access standards. So these are critical because these will indicate, um, you know, and, and we're looking to see if they're going to be as similar as, as uh, the the Tricare system. Because why should a veteran have an inferior standard than the Tricare? So when we talk about access standards, we talk about how long should you have to uh, wait to get an appointment for your primary care? How long should you have to wait? for urgent care, how long should you have to wait for a specialist, and, of course, how long should you have to drive um, not from a P.O. box of where the VA is, but from where the service that you that you need. Um, so, you know, we think that the TRICARE standards are, are, are great, seven days for a primary care, uh, four weeks for a, a specialist, and, you know, a 30-minute drive for a primary care doctor and, a, and an hour drive for a specialist. We think these are the right type of standards. The, the question is what will VA put out there, as a draft and so you know we're watching this we're going to be putting out you know some, some you know, PR statements on this but these are going to be public and we're going to want all veterans across the country to see what they are and, and weigh into the congressman do they think these are fair good standards or not
1: so now under that umbrella um... one of the issues is eligibility because apparently a lot of vets uh... really had no idea what they were eligible for um, so this so these standards these this language would address that
0: yeah absolutely um you know right right now it's, it's it's kind of uh it's kind of vague it's supposed to be a 40 days supposed to be a, a, a 40 mile 30 days but what, is, what has happened is, is the veterans do they call a number are they you know are they eligible for it are they not are they outside so this legislation sets up a mechanism where the va can't game it um it's going to be Once these access standards are final, which will be in 270 days, and they'll be implemented in uh, June 6, 2019, they'll be posted, and it'll be quite quite clear. They'll be very clear. They'll be posted in the Federal Register. They'll be posted online. um, And and all the eligibility criteria are meant to be uh, clear. Not only that, the legislation requires that once this is all determined that the VA is required to train all its staff on, on these standards, it will be required to train... All the providers on these standards, and it will be required to train all of its patients. And so, the confusion currently is that you have six different programs, six different types of eligibility guidelines, and now you're going to one program, which will have one set of guidelines, which will make it easy and clear uh, what you fall under.
1: Well, I I tell you, that's that is big news because the VA could certainly use a lot more consistency uh, across the board. I mean, that's that is one of the primary complaints, big picture that we hear from people across the nation is it's not consistent. If You go to a, you work at the system in New York or you work with the system in Alabama. It's not the same as working out in Oregon. Um,
0: correct. That's why there's a slogan in the VA said: if you've been to one VA, you've only been to one VA. So,
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: It is. It's not, it's, it's really, it really is obsolete, the IT system and, and whatnot. So yeah, the idea is to have national standardization, one set of systems. That's why having a new, um, compatible with DOD uh, electronic health records um, and we want those standards to be not only national across the VA but um, you know compliant and, and, and with DOD so you shouldn't have to be in the DOD healthcare system single facility or community provider and then go to the VA in a whole different way of doing business and a whole different set of standards. They should, be, they should be consistent and they should not be inferior.
1: Well, and you, you just mentioned the IT system, and I know the IT system that they use in there is primarily DOS-based, which is,
0: uh, I don't know,
1: 30 years old or 35-year-old technology.
0: Green and white screen, yes.
1: Oh, that is so painful. Um, it brings back awful memories from middle school, too. Um, but so, so they're going to – part of this, uh, as you said, is is the improvement on the technology side of things, including telemedicine. Does that – is that going to tie into – because I don't know this, I'm just asking, but does that mm-hmm. somehow – is that related to what they're doing with the uh, the EHRs, or is that a completely separate, uh, different silo? Uh,
0: the EHR is a different silo from the Mission Act, but it, um, and you don't need that to implement the Mission Act. But it's going to make things a whole lot easier as we go down the road, and it will make it um, the same electronic health record as DoD once it's operational, so that it will be it'll be seamless. No more will you have the problem of. A health record in DOD, and then you leave the military, and then you're starting over from scratch with the VA, and you can't get the information, um, going back and forth, do they have it, do they not? You'll have one system that will automatically transfer over transfer for you in, in into the VA when you go into that. So that's that's the hope. And also, what people don't understand is that uh, when, right now, VA doesn't have one electronic health record system nationally. It has 140 different versions of a 20-year-old, 22-year-old system. So it would be like literally the Vista system is, it was made in 1996 and, and 140 versions exist. It would be like if you had a national company that bought Microsoft 95 in 95 and all of its regions went ahead and developed versions of it and none of them talked to each other. And that's literally what we're talking about, though. When your audience has Windows 95, I doubt anybody uses it. There's a good reason. But that's what the VA has been doing, and that's why we're going to go uh, not only to a modern system based on CERNA that DOD is going to, but one capable of, of continually being updated and refreshed so it doesn't go out of date.
1: That that drives me nuts. The fact that all of that stuff is so antiquated and incompatible, and it's just a mishmash. And I, you know, and I—that's just a—that's just a gripe, a personal gripe. But you'd think at this stage in the game, like all of that stuff would be level set. But um, I know, I know they're making progress. So I'll, <laughs> I'll get off that soapbox. So I know a large component of all of this stuff is oversight. Um, again, that's that's one of the big picture complaints. Is you know all we hear is who's who, basically who's mind in the store? Why does X happen? when you have, uh, why funds dedicated to it? Why does X happen if you have this many people over here, um, working in the VA in management positions, why do we have so many things go wrong? Uh, so if you could t- touch on sort of the oversight component.
0: Yeah. So, uh, Congress is very good at passing laws. Um, but implementation is really important. That's why we are so much uh, working with our, our friends in the Hill, um, both in the Senate and the House, and Chairman Rowe in the House has been great, Senator Moran on the sfac has been great. And actually the House put together a a little chart that gives all the implementation deadlines. So I like to call uh, D-Day for a reason because, uh, look, in the the past, uh, whether it's the VA or other government bureaucracies, they're used to not implementing legislation on time or doing it poorly. The difference is, you've got six million veteran lives that depend on this. And so, in 2014, when they asked to pass the Choice Act, you know, the new Choice program rolled out, and it wasn't done well. It was done quickly, 90 days, and you know, a lot of veterans weren't getting their appointments, were so they getting them late? We can't. Now we're going to consolidate all these programs into one. If it doesn't work right, you've got six million lives going to be messed up because 36% of their appointments are in the community, so it has to work right. So oversight's critical. Uh, watchdogging is critical. The VA, not just saying they're doing it, but proving that they're doing all their milestones, that they have all the milestones is correct, because come June, it's, it, you just can't worry about turning the button. Then you have to start turning the switch, so to speak, three months in advance to make sure the transition's happen and fully done ready to go. There's a lot of pre work I haven't worked at the White House and the VA before. There's a lot of... Min- government rules, regulations, budgetary analysis, new procedures, IT fixes and stuff like that that have to be done. You can't wait for the last minute to do that. You have to start them now. So uh, Congress and veterans organizations like ourselves and and you know grassroots, you know, really watchdogging it, giving that input and, and making sure that the heat is on the VA and its and staff to get things done and get things done in a timely manner is going to be Crucial. There's lots of milestones, and, and really, failure is not an option here. It's an old cliche, but failure is not an option. Too many lives are at stake um, with their healthcare
1: for this to go wrong. Oh, agreed, agreed. And there are so many people um, uh, directly tethered to this that it's it's it is vital. Um, so, what, one more question about this, and then we'll we'll get to something else. Are you and the other VSOS? Uh, I know you all have different. Uh, I guess sort of at the micro level, you'll have different agendas, but at the macro level, you're all shooting for kind of the same target. Are you all on the same page with this?
0: Um, we're all on the same page that we all supported the Mission Act. Um, so in that way, yes. I think there was like 37 different veterans organizations, one of the few times that everyone supported supported the Mission Act. Um are we all on the same page? And what everyone thinks is, is a good access standard or, or requirement? Um, we'll see. We'll see what comes out, and we'll, we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully we are. But um, you know, everyone knows that this has to happen. And, and at, the, at the macro level, I would say everyone is is in alignment. Everyone supported the act. Everyone supported the concepts in the act, and everyone wants this to happen online because. Uh, it'll be victory for everyone or it'll be crushing defeat for everybody. I mean, you know, everyone's put a lot of their, their, their heart and soul into this legislation and, and pushing to get this implemented. And, you know, whether you're a member of whatever organization or not, um, we all look after our fellow veterans. We all want to make sure that fellow veterans are getting the health care they deserve in a timely manner and they're not getting, um, you, know, you know, Phoenix is coming up. We're, we're doing an event at Phoenix tomorrow. We don't want
1: those sort of scandals to happen again. Yeah, that one was a, a definite black eye. So I, I encourage everybody listening to, you know, sort of stay in tune with this thing. Pay attention to the news. Um, stay current with what's going on with this because it is. This is a big, big deal. This is a big deal for the VA. Um, so let's let's uh, – we're going to move on to a different topic here, something a little bit lighter. Uh, CVAF and the documentary. What's going on with that?
0: Well, we, we have a website, too, cvafoundation.org. Um, and if anyone wants to learn about CVA itself, you can go to cva4a.org. Um, but, yeah, we've, you know, we've decided to, uh, a couple of years ago, to create a, a foundation. And the first big product of the foundation to, to do education and other things that, that uh, CVA couldn't do was, was really a film. Um, And and this film is called The Care They've Earned, and it follows six veterans and their families in terms of showing the challenges they've had in getting the health care through the VA system and and why choice is important, why veterans um, need to be the drivers of their health care and not a bureaucrat. Um, And actually, tomorrow in Phoenix at the event, I I mentioned that we're going to be doing one of our preview showings. I've done a couple of preview showings in Florida and Wisconsin. and so one of the reasons we decided to do that and it's very personal to me. Um, you, know, you, you hear in the headlines and the stories about veterans who who because of delays in getting their health care, eight, nine, ten months delays, you know, end up with stage four cancer and dying. I had a friend in West Los Angeles who's happened to. And and so the Choice Act was originally passed because there's a lot of stories highlighting the veterans' challenges and the problems that the VA was having and, and the need for veterans to be able to, you know, not be dependent on bureaucrats to be able to direct their own health care, but you can't depend on, you know, uh, cable shows and, and the media to do that. So we decided through the foundation to go ahead and develop our own film that we could put out there um, that that would go ahead and explain the situation. It has experts in it um, from around the country talking about the subject. It has the veterans. It has their stories. It's very educational. It's very, very powerful, and we will be having that up on the website in the near future, the, the trailer, and then we'll have the film eventually for everyone around the country to have
1: access to. So, I mean, is the goal, just so I understand, is the, is the goal of the film to sort of offer an illustrative, uh, like a demonstration, a live demonstration, not demonstration, but sort of a, a live walkthrough of what somebody's going to go through when they're seeking different types of care?
0: Well, it's partly, I mean, the, the purpose of the film is is to highlight from Different veterans and their and their situations, the challenges that you have in getting the care that you need. Um, it's not a film about it's not a film about you know to, to pick on the VA per se, but it's, it's the point of the film is, is to highlight why veterans should be the drivers of their healthcare, why they should have choice. Because whether it's VA or any other healthcare system, if you're not if you need a second opinion, if someone's not giving you the healthcare that you need in timely manner, you should be able to go somewhere else. Unfortunately, it's the VA currently where you can't go somewhere else. You know, you're assigned that provider, you're, you know, you're dependent on them, and in, in the rest of the civilian health care system and in the, the DOD system, uh, if you don't like your provider, you can pick another one. You know, you have different options, different plans, different programs. If, you're, if you have an employer um, or you're in Medicare, you don't like your provider, you can pick somebody else for a second pay, or pick someone else for your primary care, or pick someone else. Be your specialist. You can't do that in the VA, and this really highlights the challenges the VA faces in its current healthcare system, challenges that causes veterans, and and highlights you know what the solution is, what the answer is, and that is for the veteran to be the driver of the healthcare, and the veteran to be able to choose who is the best provider for them, not a bureaucrat to choose when and how and where they get the.
1: Well, that that would be a completely separate discussion because I have very strong views on uh, <laughs> on what to do with the VA and public-private partnerships. I, I lean very hard in one direction with that, but that's that will not be the discussion today. That's That's a different day. Um, so is this is the film available on the website yet, or are you doing the previews first and then offering them?
0: We're, we're doing the previews first. That's why I direct people to the uh, cvafoundation.org. Um, I believe there's a trailer that's on the website. Oh, okay, great. Um, full disclosure, I happen to be in the trailer and in the film itself as one of the action. Um, but, uh, you know, what can I tell you? Um, but it's a, it's a really good film, and, um, you know, we hired some real outside talent to do this film. We didn't do it ourselves. Um, um, and, you know, we got lined up at the Veterans Forum, the experts, and you know, those. But it, it's, we really try to make it a real stand-alone, um, uh, you know, viewpoint type of film that, that really is an honest viewpoint. It's not meant to be a propaganda piece either way. It's meant just to give an honest, factual take on what happens to veterans.
1: So speaking of the VA, let's dive into that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the, the big, big story recently, the one that keeps popping up, is the incredibly high number of vacancies? I was I was stunned by the number. Um, it stands at over forty thousand job vacancies uh, just within the Veterans Health Administration. What is what's behind that? What is the what's the issue?
0: Yeah, you know, I I looked at it, and uh, I'm going to say something that may astound you. But if you actually look at the numbers, they, the VA actually has a, a net vacancy rate of zero. What I mean by that is uh, four years ago, VHA had 288,000 employees. Um, It's had a very slow 1% growth rate in the number of new veterans that are are entering the system. But it is creating positions faster than its growth rate. So when you have a growth rate of 4% a year in terms of positions, um, so 16% you've grown in the number of positions, but you only had a growth rate of four percent. It basically has hired four, almost forty-nine thousand more employees in the last four years, um, and, and, it's, and, it's, and it's, you know so it's creating all these positions. Um, that and by over overstaffing, you then effectively don't have a vacancy rate because if you have a vacancy rate of forty thousand, you've hired forty-eight thousand. So have only needed forty-seven thousand total, and, and you've hired all those, then you don't have a vacancy.
1: See, it was math. That's what threw me off. It was math.
0: It's, it's the math. It <laughs> looks astounding until you figure out that, hey, if I only need, you know, you know 320,000 and, and I staff 370,000, I'm overstaffed. I'm over FTE. So, you know, by comparison, if you take Kaiser, for example, Kaiser Permanente, they literally have twice as many patients and 120,000 less employees to do it. So, you know, 12 patients versus 6.1 million patients the VA has, and they have 216,000 uh, employees that manage those patients versus the VA has 200, 345,000. So, you'll never catch up on a vacancy rate, number one, if you are uh, putting in more positions than you need. Um, and that's that's the problem. I mean, the problem is. That is very inefficient in, in what it does and how it does it it doesn't really have a vacancy problem it has a productivity problem and it has put on the books way more position than it needs um, so that it looks like it has a lot of vacancies but uh, it, it doesn't have it doesn't have the, the growth of, of uh, veterans that it serves to justify the, the, the vacancies and, and the growth in
1: well I'm, I'm glad you explained that because it's I think the so the overarching message really is just because there are job openings that's not an indicator that there's necessarily a problem with it it's just it's just a lag time it's just like the Slinky.
0: Yeah, just think of well think of any business. If look, if you if you had a McDonald's for example, and you needed 100 employees um you know and 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 4 years later you you had 150 employees. But you weren't selling any more hamburgers. Do you really need 150 more employees? And suddenly you had all these <laughs> right. vacancies? Right. No. And that's, that's the problem with the VA. It's the most. It has a productivity problem. It sees literally half the number of patients per day that, that uh, the civilian side does and, and, and almost half as much as DOD does. So it, it, it's very institution-specific, not veteran-patient-specific. Um, and so are there, are there individual facilities that doesn't have the right mechs? Yes. But system-wide, it's probably overstaffed, not understaffed. Um, it, it, look, I, if DOD could be able to do that, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have a problem with, with DOD. I mean, where else in the government can you just continue to hire employees whether you need them or not? Um, and you ask for money, more money, more money, more employees just to serve home. Nobody new coming in the system, very few. Uh, so it's 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 a big problem. It's a big fraud waste and a problem. And feeding this problem just makes them more inefficient.
1: Well, again, I'm I'm glad you walked through that because now it's it's uh, you know I've done a 180 mentally with with <laughs> where they are and, and the fact that it's not actually a problem. Um, we have about a minute left. So uh, from from your standpoint, from Concerned Veterans for America's standpoint, what is what would you, I guess, what what kind of advice would you give to vets right now? What should they be paying attention to?
0: Well, let me say this real quickly. Uh, we're very encouraged with the new leadership team, um, the new Secretary uh, Secretary Welty. Uh, we, he comes from DoD. Uh, he's very experienced. Um, you know, we look we look forward to his leadership and, and sorting this all out and, and getting this making this an efficient operation. You know, he's focusing on customer service. So, for the average veteran, there they need to pay attention. Uh, they need to uh, you know, watch dog with us. They can get on our websites and see what's going on. They can contact us and find out what's going on or the congressmen. But if you want things to change, like they changed in 2014 with the Mission Act, then you need to participate. You and your family members and your friends need to pay attention to what the VA is doing, pay attention to what their access standards they propose are. And if you like them, let everyone know. Let your congressman know. Let the VA know. If you don't like them, you don't think they're the right ones, you need to let your congressman know. You need uh, help um, in terms of what to do, how to plug in. Go to the cv4a.org website um, and contact contact us, and we'll get you plugged in so that you can be part of the solution and not just sit on the sidelines.
1: That is fantastic advice. Get off the bench, get in the game, and uh, and help steer the ship. I mean, this is this is everybody's investment. So yep,
0: control your own destiny.
1: Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, that does it for our time here. Uh, Darren Selnick, senior advisor for Concerned Veterans for America. Darren, thanks so much for uh, for coming on and, and walking through this. And as I said before, for shedding light on on some of these issues, especially uh, the VA. I mean, that's that's one of those standout issues that we just hammer all the time, and we have to give them credit when it's due.
0: Yeah, giving VA credit when they do a good job and and hold them accountable when they don't. And thank you so much for having me on today. I really appreciate
1: it. Oh, my pleasure. Please come back.
0: Absolutely.
1: (laughs) All right. Thanks, Darren. Thanks. And that does it for this episode of The Veterans Report. Until next time, I am your host, Jim Cannon. You've been listening to The Veterans Report. Let others know about the show. You can find us online at theveteransreport.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to editor at
0: theveteransreport.com. Join us again at the same time for up-to-date veterans news and information. The Veterans Report. Thank you for your service and carry on. The Veterans Report has been sponsored by James Cannon.